Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the Holy Scriptures that you've given us to read. Lord, we thank you that by these Scriptures that we can hear the words of life. We thank you that in these Scriptures you reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ. You reveal to us yourself. But Lord, also through these Scriptures you reveal to us the human condition, uh, the way that we turn our backs on you, the ways that we reject you, the ways that we seek self, the ways that we try to make things which should be spiritual, unspiritual. But Lord, you also show us how you break through all of that by the power of your Holy Spirit. You also show us, Lord, your plan, your new plan of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray for each of us today that we would not be hardened old wineskins, but that we would be soft new wineskins, ready to be filled with the new wine of your Holy Spirit, as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a few years ago we bought what we called the slum. Uh, it was one of St George's worst houses. Uh, it's, the, it's where our shed now is in Barley Street. And when we first bought it, I actually didn't know what I was going to do with it. I, I didn't know whether I was going to renovate it or, or whether we were going to um, do major alterations or whether we were going to tear it down completely and start from scratch. But I had plenty of time to decide that because a fair bit of the sheeting was asbestos and so that had to be pulled down a sheet at a time and I had to get me licence and everything for that and had to wrap it up. And, and so I had plenty of time to look at the house while we, we pulled it all down. Well, it didn't take me long before I realised, OK, all the sheeting's got to go, the roof... It's got to be replaced. The house, well, it needed restumping. Uh, the plumbing all needed to be replaced. A fair, some of the floor needed replacing, but most of it was okay. And all the electric w- wiring and everything had to be replaced. The kitchen needed a completely new kitchen. Really, by the time I got all of the roof and, and sheeting off, I could see, right, well, the only part that's any good really is the frame. And it's a terrible design and I'm going to have to cut most of that and reform it all and reshape it. And so we made the decision, there's only one thing for it, it's got to go. So me and the boys, we demolished it um, and then we built ourselves a shed and maybe one day we'll build a house there. Sometimes you've just got to start over. And Jesus said, you don't patch an old shirt with a new piece of material because otherwise next time you wash it, that new piece of material, it's going to shrink. But your old shirt, well, it's already done its shrinking and so the new the patch is just going to tear the old shirt. He also said you don't put new wine into an old wineskin. If you do, the skin will burst and the skin and the wine will both be ruined. Now, what is he talking about? Well, wine has always been a favoured drink in the Mediterranean world. In Jesus' day, they didn't have readily available glass bottles or plastic bottles or cardboard boxes with, with silver bladders in them to store wine. And it might sound gross to you and I, but they used goat skins, either goat skins or jars, big clay jars. And, and so this goat leather that they used, they would just tightly sew it shut so that it could contain a liquid. And sometimes they'd use this for their water bottle 
and sometimes they'd use it for wine. But as you probably know, wine ferments. That is, it actually produces an alcohol. By the way, that's why in the Bible there are so many warnings against drinking too much wine. Wine was a common drink, but if you drink too much of it, it starts to affect you. And and alcohol affects you physically, it affects you emotionally, it affects you mentally. Alcohol is a drug and it's something that can actually change your personality. And let me tell you, usually it doesn't change your personality for the better. Alcohol is actually a poison if you drink too much of it. And because of these things, the Bible classes drunkenness as a deed of darkness. Right? Are you all aware of that? The Bible classes drunkenness as a deed of darkness. And it warns against drunkenness and of drinking too much wine over and over and over again. Now, the message today isn't even about drunkenness. I'm just throwing this in here because I believe this is important because we live in a culture that very much promotes binge drinking and drunkenness. And this is a curse on our society. Young people... I'm talking to you guys. When your mates start getting drunk, and I can tell you now, they will. When your mates start getting drunk and urging you to join in and to give it a go, well, when they start saying to you, come on, be a man, get this in you, well, you be a man, all right. You be a man of God. Or for the girls, you can be a woman of God. And, um, and say, no, I'm not even tempted by that. For God has made you and saved you and redeemed you Not for you to lose control of yourself. Not for you to make yourself sick. Not for you to destroy your body by poisoning it. God has made you for better than that. God has made you for his glory. And we've all got to remember that. God has made you for his glory. And when you're drunk, that doesn't give glory to God at all. Also, Jesus is returning sometime, hey. Can anyone tell me when that is? I just want to put that into my diary. Nobody knows. Nobody knows when Jesus is returning. Yeah. 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 Terribly destructive, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thanks, sir. And Jesus is returning. We don't know when. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be drunk when Jesus turns up. How embarrassing would that be? Hey? Anyway, this morning isn't about drunkenness. It's about new wine and old wineskins. I just wanted to throw that in there because our society so much promotes that and young people stand against, resist the the push that you will get. So we're we're talking about new wine and and old wineskins. The skins of grapes actually have a natural yeast already growing on them and as the grapes get crushed, the juice begins to ferment. 
the yeast turns the natural sugars in the grape juice into alcohol and carbon dioxide. And the fermentation process actually continues after the wine has been bottled into the wineskin. It has to keep doing that until it takes up all the oxygen and then you're left with, with carbon dioxide in there. But what it does is it produces this carbon dioxide inside the wineskin and that expands the wineskin and that stops it then from fermenting anymore. Um, when it, when it takes all but if you put it into an old wineskin that's already been used for this, that is already stretched, well, it's what, like I said to the kids before, it's like trying to blow up a balloon further. And if you push it, if, if you keep it going, it, it, the stitches will pop and the skin and the wine are both ruined. So what is Jesus talking about here? Was Jesus giving us lessons on sewing? Was he giving us pointers on, on home brewing? Was he giving us Shannon Lush or Martha Stewart advice on mending household items? What was Jesus on about? I'll tell you what it means. A New Testament lecturer once said to our class, the point of the gospel, at this stage he's talking about the gospel of Mark. He said the point of the gospel is that God comes and takes religion and actually shows himself to be greater than religion. Let me explain that. God came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. So God came into the world. And religion, which was supposed to worship God, religion which was supposed to point us towards God, religion which is supposed to make God known, couldn't handle God. And they crucified God. The new wine came into the old wineskin and it burst and it spat Jesus out and Jesus' blood was spilled all over the ground. We've been working our way through Matthew and last week we learned how having religious traditions can be worthless. If I don't have a loving relationship with God And if I don't love others and demonstrate God's mercy to them, any religious traditions that I keep are empty and pointless. Religious traditions without a relationship with God are worthless. That that was the message last week. And last week it was the Pharisees who were having a bit of a dig at Jesus. but, But this week, as we've just gone on a little bit further, it's not the Pharisees any longer, it's the disciples of John the Baptist who have a bit of a dig at Jesus. And I find this pretty interesting because why did John the Baptist come? John the Baptist came to announce the arrival of Jesus. John the Baptist came to prepare people to receive Jesus. And yet now we find that even the disciples of John the Baptist, who had originally been there to get the world ready for Jesus are already starting to get caught up in their own religious traditions because they come to Jesus and they say, now Jesus, we fast. The Pharisees fast. What's this? Why do you and your disciples, why are they not fasting? What's fasting about? Fasting is going without food for significant times of prayer. I don't don't know how it works. But it is a biblical concept 
that sometimes Christians will stop eating for a part of the day or a whole day or for several days, that they will give up food sometimes for a time, sometimes they'll give up just um, certain foods, sometimes they'll give up eating altogether for a period to devote themselves to prayer, usually for a specific purpose. Has anyone here, uh, I know you're not supposed to promote it, but has anyone here been involved in a fast at some stage in their, in their walk with God? I see a few nods of the head. Um, for me, from my experience, when I've been at significant points of juncture, like crossroads, where, okay, well, Lord, I, I really, I'm really seeking you. I don't know where you want us to go from here. These have been times where I've actually spent time in prayer and fasting and it is these times when the Holy Spirit has really given me some significant guidance through the Bible, through prayer, through dreams and visions. And that's quite a common story amongst people who have fasted. But here we have the disciples of John the Baptist regarding fasting as a religious duty, something that has to be carried out rather than something that a disciple may feel led to do at particular times. Right Now, fasting can be very helpful. It can be very helpful for you in your prayer life. It can make your prayers very powerful as you humble yourself before God and actually stop eating for a time. Which, I've got to tell you, for me, I like the eating thing. But sometimes we just stop eating and we humble ourselves before God as we do that. But, if, but it is not a religious duty. It is not to become a religious tradition that we have to keep. And Jesus answered these disciples of John the Baptist. He said, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. All right? Jesus wasn't against fasting. He taught us that we should fast when the time is right. And you know what? Jesus had already taught his disciples about fasting and what he taught them was, well, if you're going to fast, don't do it for other people to see. You see, John John the Baptist's disciples, they shouldn't have even known that Jesus' disciples were fasting because Jesus said, if you fast, you just keep it between you and God. Don't go and make... Go, don't go making yourself out to be a, a spiritual superhero. Well, I, I fast, by the way. Right? There's nothing showy about it. It's just quietly between you and God. And while Jesus was with them, the disciples, of course, they didn't need to fast because God was right there in their midst. Jesus heard every word that they would say. But once Jesus was crucified, then they would fast. Jesus said that there would be a time when he would be taken away. And of course, he was taken away at his crucifixion. He parted again, of course, at his ascension. But John the Baptist had already been taken away from John's disciples. And they had some significant times of prayer to, to have with the Lord, to know, oh, wow, because John, the fellow that they'd been following, the fellow that they had been learning from, he was now locked up in Herod's prison. And of course it wouldn't be too much longer until he would be beheaded at the whim of a, of a spoilt princess. But I want you to hear that Jesus' answer to John's disciples 
takes us way beyond a simple matter of timing of when it's appropriate to fast. Jesus' answer makes it glaringly obvious the incompatibility of the gospel and empty religious tradition. Okay? The incompatibility of the gospel and empty religious tradition. The law started out as something good. The law started out as something beautiful. David said of it in Psalm 19, the law of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The rules of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than they are than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. He's talking about God's law. Is that the way you feel about God's law? It's beautiful. Even the Apostle Paul, who, was, who had become a Christian by now in Romans 7, says, So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. God's law was good. It was perfect. But it became perverted. God's law became a curse. And it was perverted when it became an empty religious tradition. It became like an old wineskin, dried and shriveled up. And when God stepped into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, the religious legal traditions couldn't handle him. Jesus said, I have not come to take the law away. Don't ever think that I came to abolish the law. Jesus said, I came to fulfil the law. But of course when Jesus came, what the law had become, this old dried up wineskin, just a list of rules and regulations without the mercy of God, it couldn't handle Jesus and he burst it. And so the lesson is you can't squeeze the gospel into your old religious traditions. What are your religious traditions? I can tell you what a lot of the religious traditions are in our culture. Is people think that religion is, is a moral code that you live by. Right, as long as you do the right thing you're going to get to heaven. That's a religious tradition that isn't true. What religious traditions do you have? that you can't squeeze the gospel into. And Jesus demonstrated this. As soon as, as soon as he finished saying this, he then heads off. And he came in contact with a woman who was unclean because of her menstrual bleeding. She'd been bleeding for many years. Now the religious laws said, Jesus, she's touched you, you're unclean. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, Jesus made her clean. She was healed. He went from there to wake up a dead girl. And their laws said, you can't touch a dead body. But Jesus touched this dead girl and woke her up. He then touched 
two men, sorry, he gave sight to two men who were blind. He then touched a demon-possessed, oppressed man. Now that was the height of uncleanness to touch somebody who was, had an unclean spirit inside of them. And this man then was able to speak again. Jesus was doing all of these amazing things. What conclusion do you think the Pharisees came to from all this? Well, he's obviously not of God because otherwise he'd be clean and pure. Like he's touching those unclean people. He can't, he can't be clean. He can't be from God. But he keeps, giving, keeps healing these people. He's raising the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He's giving voice to the mute. He's driving out demons. How could he do this? He must be doing it by the devil himself. Do you see the craziness of this? How far off the mark could they have possibly been? God stood in their midst and they said, it's the devil. God set his children free from sin and bondage. But the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. They had so perverted God's law with their own human rules and regulations that by it, They rejected God in the name of God. They crucified God in the name of God. Don't ever let your rules and regulations shut God out. Don't ever let whatever religious traditions that you've been taught by men shut God out. Don't ever let religious traditions that, that you might have been taught keep you from a soul-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people out in the world that that's exactly what keeps them from, from a soul-saving relationship with Jesus Christ is, is their religious tradition, what they're brought up with, what they're taught at, at, at boarding school or whatever. To them it's just been a religious tradition. It's okay, as long as if you're, you're baptised when you're baby, you're okay. As long as you're a good person, you'll get to heaven. So that's what this passage was about. But I want to share with you another example of new wine needing new wineskins. Because most people today don't come from a religious tradition. Most people come from a secular tradition. Very much of the world. Now, uh, we've just had the election yesterday. I, I usually try not to tell political jokes in church. You, you, you know the problem with political jokes? They usually get elected. Um, oh. <laughs> but Jake and I, we, we went through, through the, um, what all the parties believe. Like for when we're voting for the Senate, there are so many different parties and I'll tell you what, when you look through the list and you look at their policies, most of them are not coming from a religious tradition. Most of them are coming very much from a secular tradition. And that's the way it is in our world. When you become a Christian, many people try to Christianise their old lifestyle. They're used to living a certain way and then they try to Christianise it. We try to put the new wine of the good news of Jesus Christ into our old lives and, and ultimately our newfound faith in Jesus. It fails us. It's like 
we burst. You cannot Christianise your old life. Jesus said to a good Pharisee, you know, we sort of usually think that the Pharisees were all nutters because they, they, um, we, we get such a bad impression of in the Bible, but there were good Pharisees and one of them, his name was Nicodemus. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You can't just Christianise your old life. You need a new one. In our baptism we put to death the old man and we raise up the new. In our baptism we throw away our old wineskin and we turn aside from our old fleshly desires. We turn our back on our old way of living and we begin a new life in Christ. When you become a Christian... When Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Saviour, the old life's gone. Old religious traditions are gone. The old fleshly habits are gone. The old condemnation of self and others is gone. You get to start over. You get to be a new wineskin filled with a new wine. You get to live a life of freedom. You get to live a life where you're not obligated to keep God's law in order to be saved. Instead, you get to live a life where because you are already saved, because you are already filled with this new wine of the Holy Spirit, you supernaturally begin to live out the good and perfect law. Never let anyone tell you that the law doesn't count anymore. We don't live by the law We're not saved by the law. But if Jesus came to fulfil the law, we are filled with him. We are filled with his Holy Spirit in such a way that we are able to keep the good and perfect law, not the law that was perverted by rules and regulations, but the good and perfect law that because Christ has saved us from the old wineskin along with its curse.